Welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. This is the message Jeremiah the prophet gave to the staff officer Sariah, son of Neriah, the son of Mehesiah, when he went to Babylon with Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year of his reign. Jeremiah had written on a scroll about all the disasters that would come upon Babylon, all that had been recorded concerning Babylon. He said to Sariah, when you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud, then say, Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither people nor animals will live in it. It will be desolate forever. When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her and her people will fall. The words of Jeremiah end here. Oh, good morning, everybody. It's great to actually be here. I spent the bulk of this week in bed. So it's a real novelty to be up and moving. Um, yeah, and to top it off too, Rachel was away all week. So, you know, sick. We've sick two other sick kids. So it was a fun week. But anyway, we're here. We're here with the book of Jeremiah. And because Jeremiah is all out of whack, we're sort of at the end of the book. Well, not really chronologically. But we're at the end of his sign acts. And this is a classic sign act. Jeremiah reads these words of, of, of destruction against Babylon. Actually, I should rephrase that. It's not actually Jeremiah who reads it. It's Sariah. He reads it. These words of destruction. And it just, for two chapters, it goes on and on about arrows and archers hitting the city about destroyers waste, laying waste to, the, to the, wall, the city's foundations, waves wiping over the city like a giant flood. Just goes on and on and on. And like a lot of Jeremiah, it can feel very repetitive. You feel a bit like, oh, I've kind of heard this. I don't really care. What, what's the point of this? What are we supposed to do with this? Because it does seem like really violent language, which, let's face it, doesn't have a lot of application for us today. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Have any of you been an exile to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar? No? Okay, so then what's the point of reading this? Well, let's look at the city of Babylon. And I went on Google this week, and let's have a look. at There's an artistic representation of it. Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar was just one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Many consider it impregnable. In fact, King Cyrus, uh, a king who came after Nebuchadnezzar, he declared, he goes, I cannot see how any army could possibly breach its walls. In, you can't really see in this picture here, but, but Babylon had these huge walls. That, that was so wide, apparently you could run chariot races on top of them. They didn't just have one wall, they had an outer wall, an in, uh, like an inner wall, another inner wall, and that picture of the river there, that's Euphrates, the Euphrates River ran through the city, and the, the foundations of the gates that allow 
the Euphrates to run through the city was so deep that apparently some boys tried to swim down to the bottom of them and they drowned. Basically, this city was impregnable. If you were looking for a symbol of eternal power and might, you would look to Babylon. Now, this is what's really interesting about the book of Jeremiah, because it's written out of order. If you remember a few weeks ago, I put on that yoke and walked around stage with the yoke. The timing of this is exactly the same time. When Jeremiah was going around in Jerusalem with this yoke, talking about how they needed to submit to Babylon, the same time Zedekiah has been summoned to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar because there's been an attempted revolt. About the year 593, not 594 BC, to try to um, defeat Babylon's power by all these nations. And so Nebuchadnezzar has called King Zedekiah for a please explain what are you doing. And as he goes down to, to Babylon, Zariah's job is basically to prepare the accommodation for the king. And so while he's down there, Jeremiah uses this as an opportunity for those exiles who are already there, who were there in Babylon, who'd been taken some five years earlier, if you remember, the, there's a date, 587, when Jerusalem's completely destroyed. But 10 years earlier, in 597 BC, I know lots and lots of dates, there was a little exile. Nebuchadnezzar took the best and brightest, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the prophet Ezekiel. So those guys are there in Babylon. Here's, here's Zariah reads Jeremiah's message. It's a message of hope, that this eternal city, one that's meant to be impregnable, a symbol of just this eternal power of Babylon's might, it's going to collapse. It's going to fall apart. Prophet Jeremiah, it, it's a book often about God's wrath and anger, and, that, and that's justified because there's a lot of wrath and anger. But, what, but in finishing the book this way, it shows us that God's wrath is not the end. There's this strange tension in Scripture, which I still can't quite wrap my head around. I don't know if I'll ever be able to. Is that God used the Babylonians as the instrument of destruction against the, the um, city of Jerusalem for their sin? At the same time, too, he punishes Babylon because they go too far. They gleefully enjoy the power. Nebuchadnezzar, he loves it. He loves destroying the people. The Babylonians love it. And so in this sense, too, it's like, okay, yeah, Babylon's my hand of instrument, my tool of destruction to chastise a sinful city of Jerusalem. But at the same time, Babylon themselves need to be judged. And it's interesting that the city that was considered impregnable, guess how it was defeated? I think it was a giant army who had these massive battling ramps to smash down its walls. Was it giant catapults that laid waste to the city? Does anyone know? Is there any history buff? By stealth, that's it exactly. So next slide, please, Keith. King Cyrus. Does anyone know King Cyrus? 
Very famous biblical character. King Cyrus in the year 539 BC. Actually, at the same time where, you know, the writing of the wall in Daniel. So they were, the city was celebrating and Cyrus came up with this brilliant plan to dam the Euphrates River. And they diverted the water of the Euphrates. As the water level dropped, the soldiers were able to wade through and take the city without an arrow being shot. Impregnable city. A city that even Cyrus himself said, man, I don't know how any army could, could possibly get through those walls. He didn't. He destroyed it. And I even though Jeremiah just describes the destruction of battle in this horrific language, the reality was it wasn't that exciting. But we see the word of the Lord coming true. That this evil empire, this city that represented yes, a, a legacy of evil throughout Scripture, it falls. And Cyrus is important for the Jews, as we'll see in the next slide, because it was when the city fell that Cyrus, king of Persia, he makes this declaration that says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. As soon as Babylon fell, the people are free to go. Exile is over. What Jeremiah is doing through Sariah is that in this moment right now, it seems like Babylon will never end. It seems like evil will just keep ruling and reigning. But don't fret, friends. It will fall. And that's the point of Jeremiah's chapter 50 and 51. All this intense prophecy, all this intense sign, um, language of destruction, which can just seem so overwhelming, is to remember that evil will not win. It will will fall. God is a God of justice. And Jeremiah is a, he's, has a really interesting way of showing how God's justice is always fair. If we look at the next slide, commentators had noticed that in Jeremiah's 50 and 51, he uses really similar language to describe the fall of Jerusalem with the fall of Babylon. So you can see here in Jeremiah 6.22, this is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bow and spear. They are cruel and show no mercy. They sound like the roaring sea. As they ride on their horses, they come like men in battle formation to attack you, daughter Zion. And then here about Babylon. Look, an army is coming from the north, a great nation. And many kings are being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bows and spears. They are cruel and without mercy. They sound like the roaring sea as they ride on their horses. They come like men in battle formation to attack you, daughter Zion. But Jeremiah's original hearers, they didn't read, they, they, heard, they heard this stuff. They think, geez, I've heard something like this before. I've heard this language against Jerusalem. But now that language is shifting to Babylon. 
There's a commentator out there called Stephen Smith, and he argues that God is covenantal, but not tribal. God is not covenantal. Uh, God is covenantal, not tribal. What he means by that is that God is a God of covenants. God is a God of a covenant who made a covenant with Israel, makes a covenant with himself, the God of justice. He doesn't look at a particular nation and go, well, because I'm your God, I'm going to overlook your sin. I'm going to overlook your evil. Instead, what he does is he looks at all the nations, including his very own people, and holds them to an account. And in this sort of similar language here, this is what Jeremiah is subtly showing us. God holds all people to an account. Friends, that's deeply, deeply comforting. Also a little bit scary. It's like, oh, okay. Holds me to an account, holds you to account, holds nations out there, holds that nation out over there too. But this knowledge of the God of justice, a God who I don't understand, and like I said earlier, I still wrestle with how has God used Babylon, but at the same time too punishes them for destroying Jerusalem. There's a tension, there's a mystery. But in that, we see the God of justice, the God who won't let evil escape. Friends, that is comforting. That is comforting to know that. Evil will not win. God does not allow evil to win ultimately. But Babylon in Scripture, it isn't just a city. There's something a little bit deeper. And in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 34, look there on the screen. Thanks, Keith. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he is described like a serpent. Now, if you see in the brackets there, that word in Hebrew for serpent can also be a sea monster or a dragon. Isn't that a bit more powerful image? So Nebuchadnezzar is like this monster of the sea who swallowed the Israelites up, filled his stomach with them, and then blah, vomited them out. Now, here's a little Bible fact well, actually, no, I want to ask you a question. What does, what does Babel mean? That's, what, does, what does Babel mean? Pardon? Confusion. Okay. Now, what does Babel... Does anyone know in Hebrew what the word Babylon and Babel mean? Anyone know? Murray, you should know. Do you know? No? <laughs> Do you know it mean exactly the same thing? It means exactly the same thing. In Hebrew, Babel and Babylon is the exact same word. So in English, every time you read the word Babylon in Hebrew for the Hebrew eye, actually you're reading Babel. When you go to Genesis 11 and read about, about the Tower of Babel, you're reading the exact same word. And that's a deliberate point there. In Genesis 11, the, the famous Tower of Babel, the the Babylonians there, they thought that they were building the stairway to heaven to reach to the heights of the gods. Genesis 11 tells us, hey, they're just building Babel, confusion. And that's all the Bible ever sees Babylon as, a source of confusion. And the nation of Babylon came to represent 
cities and empires that stand against God's purposes. And the ultimate irony is, oh, can we just go back one more, Keith, before we jump ahead? The ultimate irony is there, as you can see in that picture from based off Daniel 5 with Belshazzar, is that Babylon ends in confusion. The writing on the wall, no one can read it. Babylon started in confusion, it ends in confusion. But Babylon there, it came to represent, you can go to the next slide now, Keith, thank you. Babylon came to represent all those cities that are against God's purposes. So before, there's something a little bit deeper there. That image of Nebuchadnezzar, like this sea monster, this, this dragon, it's picked up in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, we won't go into that. That's an incredibly confusing book. But some of those images of the dragon, the beast, prostitute writing on it, it's about Babylon. It's describing Babylon, this wicked, evil city that needs to be destroyed. And it's interesting, in, um, in the description in Revelation of Babylon's downfall, as you can see there in Revelation chapter 18, we're told here this angel picks up this boulder, throws it into the sea. What's, what's Sarai supposed to do with that prophecy? He picks up a rock and riffing off the same imagery. This idea is that Babylon, just like in Jeremiah's day where that scroll represented Babylon's gone forever, so in Revelation it does the same thing, but in a lot more powerful, poetic way. It's not just a rock, it's a boulder that's going to wipe away Babylon completely. Okay, that's a lot of fun little Bible facts for a Sunday morning. Let me just fix this up a bit more. Um, I'm sure some of you are wondering, so what? So what? Who cares about all that stuff? How, how is that relevant for my life? Well, let's be honest. I think many of us here have our own Babylons that we look forward to. We have some sort of city, even though we know, well, really, this is what God tells me to do. We, we have our own equivalent of a city that we lust for. And we all know our different, our different vices, whether it be money, sex, drugs, whatever it is. We don't need to go into that. We know. But we all know that there, each of us has a personal Babylon that we cling onto. Something that we think that is just never, ever going to end. Perhaps deep down we don't ever want it to end. If, if our life is like a room full of rooms, we're happy to have God in every other room except for one. That's the Babylon in our life. Or perhaps for us, Babylon represents an evil that will just never go away. Perhaps it's a sickness and it just won't seem to shift. Perhaps it's a loss of a loved one, just a hole that we just cannot seem to fill. Perhaps it's just some sort of evil that we just think God is never, ever going to get rid of. Well, what this chapter does, the destruction of Babylon, it tells us that either A, that city that you long for, it's going to be destroyed. Or B, that evil city, whatever it is in your life, that, will never, that never seems to want to die, it will die one day. God will get rid of it. 
It was said of the Titanic, not even God himself could sink this ship. What happened to it? Didn't matter the Titanic was the greatest using was built with the greatest shipbuilding technology of the 20th century. Now sits at the bottom of the Atlantic. Friends, it doesn't matter how much power, how much prestige, how much it just seems this thing is impregnable. Eventually, Babylon will fall. Friends, that should either make you rejoice or it should make you terrified. Make you rejoice because if the Babylon is the evil oppressing you, you're going to be released from that. It should make you terrified because if you're clinging on to Babylon somehow, well, then you know that you're, just, you're literally just banking money on a sinking ship. It's not going to go anywhere. And that's the point Jeremiah is making. Friends, what is your hope resting in? Is it resting in Jesus? Or is it resting in something else? It's resting in Babylon, and it is just a sinking ship. Jeremiah is a very, very violent book. And just to help those in small group, I've just put a quote up on the screen, on the screen from Miroslav Volf. And Volf was a Croatian theologian um, who didn't believe in God's anger, he didn't believe that, like, angering, that God's anger was worthy of him. And this, I won't read the full quote out. Essentially, what Volf came to is that surviving the Bosnian War, it's that if God's not angry at this stuff, it's not a God who's worth worshipping. Because God isn't, isn't wrath. God is, oh, I'll just read it out here. It's probably better coming from him than me. It says here, though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. All this language of destruction and wiping away evil cities, it's not because God enjoys it. It's a way of God showing his love. Before we finish today, in the final sign act that Jeremiah, well, Actually, not Jeremiah. Zariah performs and Mitchell perform in church. This is the scroll. This literally is the, language, the words of Jeremiah's 50 and 51. Like Zariah, ties it up onto a rock and drops it into the Euphrates. At a symbol, evil will not have its day. Friends, let this be that reminder of that. So imagine being those exiles, wondering that, well, am I going to be stuck here in Babylon forever? Will evil win forever? Is Yahweh powerless to save us? Here's a powerful reminder. No, evil has not won. This is what's going to happen to Babylon. Oops, that was a lot more than I expected. <laughs> Much more dramatic, yes. Well, that's what God's going to do to Babylon. Friends, let's rejoice that. Let me pray for us. Yeah, Lord, I just give you thanks for your word and for what Jeremiah did or writing those words so long ago. Now, Lord, and we just seen in that just that dramatic sign act there, Lord, what you did to Babylon, you completely washed it away, destroyed it completely. 
And Lord, that's what you're going to do to evil and pain and suffering one day too. Wash it away completely so that we can live in the newness and new life of Jesus. In many ways, Lord, we just give you thanks that you are a God of wrath, that you show your love through wrath and anger by not letting evil have the final say. So, Lord, I just pray for those of us who are suffering, those of us who are struggling with the different personal evil Babylons in our life, and remind us that it will not win. Those who are struggling at living in the city of Babylon, help us to flee from the city, to run to the true city, New Jerusalem, where your presence is, where there is life found in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray your help in doing this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Jural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.